The word of God is eternal. Listen to it now. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is the first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father, or mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Thanks be to God. Let's say it together. Thanks be to God. Amen. He does not need the ramp. Thank you, Susan. Yeah, so, so my name's Matt Odom, and uh, I was invited by Chris to, to come up here um, to come share the word with you guys this, this Sunday. And in the logistics of trying to figure that out, I um, have never met Tripp, never, uh, I never uh, got a chance to spend time with him. And um, so I was working through what I wanted to, to share with you guys. And uh, four nights ago, I sat upright and I, and I was like, oh, Melchizedek, that's it. I, I want to share a sermon about Melchizedek. Um, and as, as I was thinking through the examples of, uh, and illustrations that I want to talk to you about today, it felt um, a little bit too irreverent for the space that uh, I am in with you this morning. And I was talking with uh, my wife, Sarah, and I was like, I don't know about, I don't know about this. And, and she said, I think you'll be able to gauge um, as, you, as you process. And when I was listening to the, to the funeral service, um, the brother was quirky. <laughs> and he, all of you shared, I don't know how you got up there and spoke, man. Um, and I'm so proud of you. And you too, Daniel. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is I, I want to honor the, what I'm going to call the quirky holiness of Trip through this passage, even though I never met the brother in person. 
Um, and I want to I want to pray that God would allow us to do that together uh, before we start talking about the text. Okay, let's pray. Lord, it's very easy uh, to talk about you and not talk to you and to forget that you're here. And so I ask, Lord, that you would bless uh, us with your presence this morning and that you would comfort and that you would show us that you have called us into a life that's indestructible, um, into spaces where evil and death and sickness um, cannot enter and will not enter forever. And Lord, you as our priest have led the way into that promised land um, where life as it should be will continue on and on and on. And so Lord, help us to see your eternal reality this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So one of the questions that the book of Hebrews seeks to answer is if Christianity is so good, if Jesus and all that he's about is actually good, then why is life so tragically and terribly difficult? And why do I feel so much pain? And why is there so much senselessness and, and death? Um, and the answer that the book of Hebrews gives is that it says throughout the letter, I know it's hard. And I know it's uh, unbearably challenging. But Christ will hold you. And Christ is better. And specifically, Christ, as your priest, wants to take you into spaces and places that will change us forever. And mainly what he wants to teach us is that he hates death more than you do, and he loves you more than you love yourself. And part of his priesthood teaches us that through Jesus being a, a sacrifice for us and consecrating us for a specific purpose. And so I want to talk about that in, uh, as we walk through this strange passage. We, we, uh, we're going to look at that as the two points, a priest who sacrifices for us. So if you look at your text, it says in chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. And part of what the writer of Hebrews has been showing up to this point and by the way, I did select verses from uh, parts of Hebrews. If you want a fuller explanation of the text, I can, I can send you that. So come up and talk to me afterwards. Um, but I wanted to say something specific to you guys from these two passages. In verses 7 and 8, uh, part of what the writer has been showing is that Jesus isn't just a priest uh, who brings you into God's presence, but he himself is the sacrifice as well. And so in the person of Jesus, you have this merger of a, a, a priest and a lamb at the same time. A high priest who is meant to bring you into the nearness of God, but also the one who and through who you, you are right with God. And when he's crying out with loud tears and supplications, uh, the writers would have heard that sounding like he's, he's like a, a lamb that cries out before, before he dies and uh, is in terrible agony. Um, when I, I used to live in Texas, and uh, I was a part of this small group Bible study, 
And I used to get sick a ton during the fall. And one fall, uh, I got, I think it was like walking pneumonia or bronchitis, and I would cough so much that I would throw up at the end of my coughing because it was just so intense. I'm so glad I don't have this during COVID because everyone would be like, you know, anathema, um, stay away, <laughs> unclean. Uh, and so we were at this small group and they had snacks on the kitchen counter and there was this one pepper on, a, on the plate and it looked like one of those red bell peppers that you dip in ranch. And I was like, oh, that's, that, that'll be good. And, I, and so I popped the whole thing in my mouth and it was one of those times where in your life you're like, Something's wrong. Like, some, like everything, something is off, right? Um, and I immediately go to the, the bathroom and uh, projectile vomit everywhere. And for the next, I'm not kidding, for the next 15 minutes, like all the moisture was leaving my face, you know, my eyes, and I was snotting. And, I, and I could, it was so hot that I couldn't, like, say anything. I was like, Sarah! Sarah, you know, like kind of like, you know, knocking on the door. And uh, Sarah had heard me coughing like this for months. And so she was like, oh, he, he's fine. Um, and, you know, 15 minutes later, after I survived, you know, the pepper from hell, um, I came, I was like, Robert, uh, the owner of the house is like, what? What was that that I ate? What kind of pepper was that? And he's like, oh, my gosh, like that was that was a ghost pepper. Um and I felt like in that moment I had ridded the world of at least one horrible thing that <laughs> didn't need to be in it, you know. Um, Christ is our priest, okay? Why would he... Wi- I want to meditate on something with you for a second, okay? Why would he willingly do something that he knew would, would, would destroy him? He swallowed death. And he didn't do it out of ignorance, like I accidentally did it with the pepper, but he, he knew, that's, that's the fascinating thing to me. It's like he knew the nature of all that it entailed and all that we feel. And he ate it. And he let it take over him. And he gave his body over to it. Now, why? Why did he do that? The, the simplest way I can put it is that he hates death more than you do. And this is what he had to do to defeat it. And he loves you more than you love yourself. And in order to defeat death, he says, I am your priest. Come through me. This is the thing that I was designated for. Um, you have been through this past week as a community Immeasurable loss. Sacrifices that you didn't even have a choice to make. And those sacrifices will be, this is how God works, will be the exact places that you find Jesus to be most beautiful and worth it. You did not just hear me say that suffering makes sense. Jesus doesn't make sense of suffering and death for us, but what he does do is that he enters it with us, swallows it with us. And if it's all true, I always say this, if it's all true, it's got to be true at the hospital bed. It's got, it's got to be as true at the, at the funeral as it is at the birth. 
And that's what Jesus was doing at the cross. He's saying, it is true. I'm in it. That's the point. You know, the, there's a fascinating thing about John 11, the part of the call to worship, where Jesus starts talking about death. And frankly, it, it has angered me before because he starts talking about physical death as not an actual death. And part of what verse 7 through 10 is saying in our passage is that Christ himself didn't ultimately die. And that at the cross, when Jesus was crying out, he, he didn't get, get an answer. But look carefully at what verse 7 says. It says, God heard him. The God who was able to save from death heard him. God oftentimes doesn't give answers. But he always hears. And what is he hearing and watching? He, look at verse 8 and 9. He's watching Jesus being made perfect through suffering. That even Jesus himself had to be progressively prepared for something. And it was to die in order to become the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, to become the king of righteousness. To put everything and everyone in their proper place, even death. This is why I believe, right here, Christianity teaches that physical death isn't the end. There is a second death, an eternal separation from God, and Jesus willingly swallowed the first so that we didn't have to endure the second. This means that God doesn't give an answer for why death and evil are in the world, but, but he subjects himself to the exact same thing that we face as a sacrifice. And he says, I am your priest. I am your conduit. Come to me with all you are. With everything, anger, sadness, whatever you feel, come. He knows it. And what we need most of all during suffering and trials, I, I don't think we need someone to just take it away. I think we need somebody to, to make it sacred, to consecrate it. When you go through immeasurable loss, what, what, like what you've all have been through this past week, you, you must know, this is what I want to tell you, you must know that you're standing on holy ground in and among each other right now, and I want you to pay attention. Death and loss of this magnitude helps you see life with hyper-clarity, like, like it's high definition. That's why I want to talk to you about this strange character named Melchizedek, which should be on the list of names for 2022, you know, for babies. We need to bring it back. Um, Melchizedek was a picture of being consecrated to God He's a picture of ultimate reality behind the veil of this earth. And we need a priest who can consecrate us. Look at 7, 1 through 3. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of part of, the part of everything. And he is the first, by translation of his name, 
the king of righteousness, and then he is also the king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues forever. This is a deeply pastoral letter to people who are hurting very badly. And we often view our lives from the perspective that our earthly existence is more real than the unseen reality of heaven and hell. And what suffering does, what it can do for us, is it requires us to think differently. Not that our lives don't matter or aren't real. What you feel is real. But God is pushing us towards an indestructible existence. That's what he wants for you, for you to become indestructible through Christ. And that's why he mentions Melchizedek. Um, for these Christians in the book of Hebrews, Judaism represented like the ideal past. Uh, they were beginning to think about going back to Judaism because it was just too hard to be a Christian. But Judaism was like that old lover that you knew wasn't good for you. And they were uh, reminders of going back to Judaism everywhere for them. And the past is tricky like that. And Melchizedek was like that, that deep track on a rep record that you and your old boyfriend and girlfriend bonded over. And he's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament and his name literally means the king of righteousness, but it, it seemed like he gained a lot of momentum with this particular group of Christians, and so he became sort of like this name of hope or, or like a, you know, kind of like a, the epitome of um, this group of who was going to, you know, be the hope of God. And it's kind of like, you know, if you mention Chris Paul here in Winston-Salem, he has this sort of like epic weight to him, and, and so what the writer's doing, he's like, okay, you want to talk about Melchizedek? We can talk about Melchizedek. Melchizedek was one of the most uh, perfect pictures of Jesus we have in the Old Testament. You, he's like, you remember Abraham rescued his nephew Lot from these, the hand of these kings, and he was met by this mysterious figure, and the text doesn't explain it or expand on it until a thousand years later, and David writes this psalm about him, and you're like, okay. Like, why are, we, why are we talking about this? Uh, you and I have things in our past. Maybe it's with your spouse if you're married or a sibling that have very intense and profound significance, but the actual experience of that thing was not very vast. So when I was watching the, the funeral service, you know, those overalls that your mother wore, those are holy overalls. Those are those holy garments. What, what the sister mentioned, you know, the live action Beauty and the Beast. These things that connect us to something beyond itself. You say the name of a person or a place or a date or a show, and it immediately holds a sort of weight in who you are as a person, but it was only a sliver of your experience. That's a Melchizedek moment. When I was uh, 11 years old, my mother and I were, were driving. I'm from Augusta, Georgia. And we turned on this road called Augusta uh, Highway. And 
the moment we turned, there was a car that had flipped over and a teenage boy was out in the grass. He had gone out the window and um, he, he was not in good shape and his hands were like, you know, like this and he was, he was shaking and my mom parked the, the minivan. She said, Matthew, stay right here. And she goes and walks towards him, the first one on the scene. She gets down and starts petting his head like this and starts like saying stuff to him. And I, and I see his body calm down and relax. And then within 30 seconds, like 10 other people circled around him and his body went, went back like this when everybody got and my mom kind of exit. She's a nurse, by the way. She got back in the van, roll, rolled down the road. She didn't say anything. And I was like, is he going to be okay? And she said, it doesn't look good. And then she said, Matt, I think God has given me the gift of calming people down when they're in deep suffering and distress. And it stuck out to me because she didn't say stuff like that. What do you think I thought about every time I drove past that part of the road? You know, there are moments in your life where it seems like eternity slips through. And I'm convinced that your community here is in a consecrated moment. Can't force it. To just pay attention. A Melchizedek moment. Abraham's experience of Melchizedek was otherworldly, but he wasn't nuts. He wasn't crazy. Melchizedek helped Abraham understand why he was here on this earth to birth an, an entire nation. And, and Abraham immediately, when he, come, when he comes into contact with him, he immediately knows what to do. You know what he does? He starts giving him money, giving him a tenth of everything. Because he, he somehow knew this mysterious figure is the point of my existence. You know, tithing, this isn't a sermon about tithing, but tithing is an exercise in your belief in the unseen reality. That you, when you give what you have away, what you're saying is that this small portion, my best portion of what I've been given belongs to God because he is where I belong. And I don't know if you've ever noticed, you probably have, that when tragedy strikes, people become extremely generous. You know why that is? It ain't from pity. It's because we want to be of some use outside of ourselves. That you were consecrated. Your best stuff was meant to be given away. Unto God and unto people. If there wasn't any hope, we'd hang on to our stuff. But there is. And suffering, what it does is that it consecrates and reorients us back to what actually matters. And it can make you holy. It can bring you into God's presence in a way like nothing else can. The next time you feel uh, the most awake and alive, tithing as a way of life says, it's not just about money, tithing as a way of life says, how can I commune with God right now? God, I feel so, I feel so energetic and instead of making a bunch of money with all that energy, what do you want? The poet Mary Oliver, 
said that every job she ever had always got the second best of who she was. And she said, my poetry and my attention to the outdoors always got my best attention. And whatever was left over is how I provided for myself. And traumatic events uh, bring hyper clarity to the reality of good and evil. And when what Jesus desires is your full attention. And he wants to lead you into God's presence, especially when it gets hard. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Why do we need a priest? Every single one of us has things in our past that we can't undo. Things we wish we had said or done that we didn't. The most moral person under this tent is capable of the worst atrocities. And that's why evil is so bad. Because it can get in and affect any of us at any time. And we all know deep down what we're all capable of. But there was one who was different. There is a timeless person who is unstained. Exalted in the heavens for you. And he will never, ever stop interceding for you. He will never stop reminding you of where you belong. He will never stop representing you to God. He is righteous for you. So this is the eternal reality in this world. Uh, The worse it gets in this life, the clearer the gospel is. There is one who transcends time, and there is an indestructible reality that you become aware of through suffering, and that's how Jesus consecrates us to believe that he hates death more than you do, and he loves you more than you love yourself. In Redeemer Winston-Salem, my encouragement to you this morning is to keep going, that you have embodied this hope of the gospel now, this past week, and you will continue to do it. And Christ has led the way. And we must follow. We must follow him, and we are safe in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another day. And I ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit out onto your people here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and comfort and remind us of the resurrection. Remind us of how indestructible your son Jesus is. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.